welcome to Album Club 500. I'm 27, a Dracula. And I'm Jacob Schatz, the godfather of new metal. And so am I. <laughs> Today we'll be reviewing MGMT's album, their first album, Oracular Spectacular, and Wilco's fourth album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which are numbers 494 and 493, respectively, on our 500 albums list, which we are reviewing two a week. I had not heard either of these albums before this week, but 27, you heard both of these multiple times. I've heard these a lot because I used to be way into MGMT. I'm not so much anymore. I, I really like their later two albums. I don't really like this one as much, which well, trust me, we'll get into. <laughs> but uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I've heard so many times. I, I love that album so much. It's it's my favorite Wilco album. Like the close second is Summer Teeth, which is the album right before this one. And uh, really all of their albums are great from what i've heard i've listened to their first four albums and one of their recent ones i've i've listened to these a lot so this will be pretty easy for me but from what we were say- talking about before we started you had a little bit of you found yankee hotel foxtrot a little more challenging than oracular spectacular yeah the wilco album was definitely the sticking point for me because i mean i've heard stuff similar to this before i've heard the pieces of this album it's got a rock sensibility to it it's got a lot of american rock and pop artifacts in here but they're so personalized and produced through this that i didn't really have a a holding on point when i was listening to this album for the first time right so we'll get into that more when we get to the second half of this episode but for now we're talking about oracular spectacular mgmt's debut album can uh tell us something about that jake mgmt is a duo made up of andrew van wingarden and ben goldwasser yeah i can never remember their names <laughs> yeah they were pretty tough for me and i have them right in front of me it's like An- andrew lloyd weber and <laughs> that's not it these two were schoolmates at wesleyan university and they just sort of started sharing music with each other and eventually rolled into making a band just from hanging out and talking about music together they're definitely like i feel like they were like weird kids yeah, you get that feel from this album. It's it's definitely <laughs> weird. It's not unapproachable. It's still got a lot of pop and electronic pop there. But you definitely get the sense that these guys were different and didn't want to compromise that at all. This album and MGMT in general are a alternative rock band, psych pop, electronic pop, you know, electronic rock. They play a kind of a variety of just all rock styles and pop. Uh, sometimes psychedelic even. And this album is their first one, and it, I think it does a pretty good job of displaying what uh, MGMT is all about. Being a fan of their other two albums, this one is a good introduction to MGMT as any. The tracks do have a very all-around feel to them. The first half maybe veers a little bit more pop and rock and more traditional, and then the second half gets a little bit more spacey, a little bit far out, and getting more into the psych stuff that you mentioned. Yeah, the second half is definitely way more psychedelic, while the first half is way, way more poppy and radio-friendly, for sure. I mean, it's so radio friendly that you have definitely, definitely heard that song's electric feel and kids somewhere in your life before. I did realize that as I was listening to this album. You as in Jake and also you as in basically everyone. Right, right. Part of my, I don't want to say like aversion, that was the word that popped into my head, but like, I don't, I'm not averse to this album. 
But part of my like my my reservation about this album is is that I've heard the songs Electric Feel and Kids so so goddamn many times, <laughs> especially Kids. It's more Kids than I still love Electric Feel. I think that's a great song, but Kids has just worn down on me. I like that song and like I listened to it like estimate like ten times that I and I, and I enjoyed it. But then the other six million times I heard it, I did not want to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, I I get that sense. <laughs> I liked this album a lot more than I expected to, honestly. And I think it's just by virtue of not having heard some of these songs as much and not partaking of some of the, the stations or channels that would have given me that overexposure to some of these songs. The fact that this was still a novelty to me really helped me enjoy it by the end. And, and like, I do still think they're good songs. Don't get me wrong. It's just, they, they don't hold up, is the thing. They can wear down. I mean, Electric Feel does, actually. I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll compromise there. Electric Feel is actually a great song, and we'll, we'll talk more about it in the track-by-track, track, but... Yes, I definitely have big words for Electric Feel on the track-by-track. Track. <laughs> Kids is, uh, man, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, do you, do you want to go ahead into the track by track? I think we've given a pretty solid overview so far. Yeah. So the first track is called Time to Pretend. And it's, uh, it starts out with this really sweet little melody, little synth melody, you know, like the do 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 yeah yeah and you can and you hear that and you like you're like okay i can expect to hear some catchy ass tunes on this record and that's that's pretty a pretty good introduction after those that that little melody plays a couple times it kind of blasts into this like heavy distorted like wall of sound kind of like pop tune which is cool i feel like it's a bit overblown the production on this track is is pretty brick walled pretty redlined it's it's uh, not very dynamic which can kind of grate on me, but the songwriting's there, and it's a good song. As for the lyrical subject matter, I I don't really know what to make of it, because it it seems to be kind of admiring, but at the same time, like, mocking the rock star lifestyle, which they seem to be pining for, but at the same time seem to be dismissing it, I feel. What do you think about that? The lyrics for Time to Pretend give you almost like a caricature of the rock star lifestyle. Yeah, they talk about it in very simple terms. Right. It's saying, let's go do all of these huge, overblown things that are going to completely destroy us. Yeah. In a way, it's a lot like the the song Rockstar by Nickelback. <laughs> really? We're working in Nickelback on episode four? Literally, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one's a little more poppy and radio-friendly than the other. And the other is Nickelback. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get what you mean, though, because the first verse says this in really stark terms. Concrete, this is what we're going to do, and it's, we're going to go do tons of drugs and fuck a bunch of people and not give a shit about them. Yeah. And you just sort of feel like, wow, you're really happy about this and not super, like, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously it's kind of it's kind of a you know, narc nerd thing to say, gee, you're not really being very considerate about your, uh, your big LA lifestyle now, are you? Yeah. Uh, but, but really that's what it comes across. But the thing is they're, they're, they're also, they're like, they're mocking this lifestyle and kind of making a, yeah. a joke out of it. Cause in, in the, uh, like the chorus, I guess you could call, I mean, it's really just two lines before like the little melody kicks in again, but they say like, we'll forget about our mothers and our friends. And then they say, like, we're fated to pretend, as in, we're not going to be that successful to have this lifestyle. Like, who are we kidding, right? 
Yeah. You know, the, yeah. <laughs> it, and it's it kind of reminds me, the theme here also kind of reminds me a little more of uh, Royals by Lord. You know that song? Yeah. But more of Rockstar by Nickelback, which is hilarious. But <laughs> I, I do kind of like the, the second verse tempers it a little bit, though. Yeah. Because the second verse is a lot more like we were just talking about all the real with sort of an asterisk next to it stuff that we do once we get famous. This is stuff that we could do, but stuff that's more of the overblown lifestyle aspect. Yeah. And then the second verse is a lot more of the real stuff that they're leaving behind if they were to pursue this. Yes. It kind of acknowledges the sacrifices that are made when this happens. So that's that's pretty much it. And I, I don't it's not super poetic, but the, the lyrics are pretty interesting in that regard. And I, I do really like the part where the part in like the second half of the song where uh Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top goes, I'll have a quesadilla, haha. <laughs> God damn it. I swear this isn't you can't just replace the songs that we're listening to with nickelback songs. I, I don't know what you mean. But so, We haven't built up a listenership. We can't afford to lose the five we have. I don't know what you mean. So in the second track, Weekend Wars, the lyrics turn much more abstract. And I'm just glossing over you right there. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, let's, let's go ahead on to Weekend Wars. <laughs> Weekend Wars is probably my favorite track, I think. It, the lyrics on this one are kind of a... I don't know, they remind me of, like, the Yes style of songwriting, the band Yes, uh, where the, the lyrics, I mean, there might be a meaning underneath it, but they don't seem to mean anything or make any logical sense in a lot of ways, and uh, I don't know, I, re- I really dig it, and I really dig the the sound of this, al- or this song, and I think this song kind of telegraphs what their next album, Congratulations, is going to be a little bit more like, it's a little more humble, less overblown more sincere songwriting, I guess. That's how I feel about it. What do you think of this song? I did like this song a lot. I had to get used to it a little bit. My first, my first listening was a little bit more. Yeah, okay, this is this is nice. But upon second listening, I really enjoyed the way that all of the instrumentation and the vocal style work together with the lyrics because the vocal style for this is really strained like he's yelling most of this song and the subject matter feels a lot more like you're you're straining to fit all of this stuff in your life yeah you're writing that the lyrics are a little bit more word salady they're 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 not they're definitely not straightforward to any degree but if you sit there and pick through them, you're still getting a sense of desperation out of it. And, and what's interesting to know is there are multiple vocal styles on this track and the whole album in general. Yeah. There's the, the kind of yelly, like, shouty strain vocal, which I like it when it's used in, a, in the context of a song like this. I really hated it in the song Pieces of What. Oh, okay. The, the seventh track, but we'll get to that. And uh, then there's the other vocal style he does, which is the, the, the falsetto, like the really sweet sounding falsetto singing with like harmonies and stuff you know the da, 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 I'm a weekend warrior, you know yeah yeah and i love that on this yeah and, and that's the style he uses a lot more on their proceeding albums after this one and i, I feel like it just works a lot better with with their style later on and, and of course it's contextual here but that that style is a lot easier to listen to and i i it's a little bit of a relief when they break into that. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Which, which the whole song "Electric Feel" is is basically. I I also really liked the pattern that this track took because it starts off very groovy mm-hmm. and a, and a little bit slow, a little bit more rhythmic, and then there's a there's a point where it shifts into a lot more like bop 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 bop. Yeah, like it's a march. 
Yeah, yeah. Like there's a march feel to it, and you get like the this expand and contract effect that mm-hmm. gives you a, a really clear internal picture of like I'm, I'm not taking the weekend war literally, yeah. but it gives this feeling of like going to war and then coming back and and having to deal with the fallout. You put that into words way better than I ever could. <laughs> <laughs> like that's just that's that's really how it came across and I loved that I got that feeling out of this just from the music separated from the lyrics because then when you add the lyrics on top of it it's like damn it just worked. Yeah, this song is it's really clever and and it does have like a variety of it, it like switches up its style and it gives you different feelings. It's uh, definitely, in my opinion, the strongest track on here. I think I can agree with that. I, I may I may contradict myself later on just on stuff that I actually preferred to myself. But for right now, I I mean, this just worked on pretty much every level that it was operating. So give it give it kudos at least for now. So then we got the third track, The Youth, which is uh, I'm not as much of a fan of. What do you think? You tell me first. I... I go back and forth on it because I try and look into a lot of stuff probably a little bit more than some musicians actually mean with their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like there's there are, there are some things where the artist is trying to put all these layers in and then there are other times where I will look at something and say, oh, but if this connects to that, then this and that and that. What I really got out of this one is that from what I could see, it was trying to access the idea of the perception of youth changing from multiple angles. How people who are the youth begin to understand the world. And then there's how people who are the older generation or, or an older generation perceiving the youth changing. And the particular word choice for the lyrics here was really inventive at trying to convey both of these things at once. The first verse uses terms like cut a rug and twist and shout. Mm. All of these are older dance terms. Right. It's not talking about the youth of just one generation. It's think back to when you were young and recognize that these youth aren't the same as you were then. Mm-hmm. Kind of a footloose situation there. Right, right. And someone described their ideals for a lot of the lyrics on this album as like modern hippie. Okay. And that, I kind, I'm getting that kind of. And the idea of deconstruct, because a lot of what millennials have been doing is sort of deconstructing some of the ideals of the hippie movement. Right. There's there's a lot of things that we incorporate nowadays into our politics and into our sociality that is deconstructed versions of the hippie movement. And so to have a, a song like this approach the idea of youth from that angle and saying, let's deconstruct all of the aspects of youth culture that we've seen and can learn from from history and show how these are being applied to us or how we're applying them to ourselves. I see. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And you've obviously thought about these songs more than I have, which is funny because... (laughs) I kind of had to, just because, like, this is so new to me, and I'm like, I need to figure out what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) I think the themes themes in this song, actually, from what you've described to me, I mean, obviously I've heard the song, but I, I never thought about it like that, but it gives me a similar feeling... As the song Youth Culture Killed My Dog by They Might Be Giants. Oh, man. I don't know. It kind of has, like, a similar thing going on there. That's, like, it's talking about, like, how bad youth culture is, but at the same time, it's like, well, I mean, it's kind of all the the same. Like, that's what you would have thought back then, too, right? Right. The line that really sells it for me is, in a couple of years, tides have turned from booze to cheers. Because every it's a cycle. Every single 
older generation, when they become the older generation, is going to say kids these days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's a call to people who were youth and people who are now stepping into the role of youth to say, hey, pay attention to what everybody's saying, parse everything that you're getting and figure it out, and don't just pigeonhole entire generations yeah the way that they were or are going to pigeonhole you which is a lot like the nickelback song (laughs) photograph (laughs) go ahead give me a title oh no find a title i'm not gonna do it (laughs) (laughs) no it hurts too much now it was a goof that time you get one nickelback song yes anymore and we enact penalty game (laughs) Ooh. Okay, so uh, that's so I've 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 been yelling about the youth for a while. Do you have anything else for it, or should we move on? Darn old dang kids! No, track four, <laughs> track four is called Electric Feel. This is one of the major singles on the album for good reason. I love this song <laughs> so much. Yeah, it's it's very good. It, it's also one of the the highlights of and one of the closers of their live set when I saw them live a couple years ago, which was fun. And, and the funny thing is, they didn't play kids, which made a lot of people mad. But I thought it was hilarious because it's like <laughs> you only you came here literally to hear them play kids. You don't deserve to to experience this show. Honestly, that's like people who go to a Devo show to hear Whip It. It's like fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. That's honestly how I feel about it. I, I'm I'm sure that I have heard this song before. But even with that, when I sat down to listen to this album for the first time, start to finish, I got to the line, shock me like an electric eel, and knew that it was going to be rhymed with electric feel, and said out loud, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe you just did that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just, it's so like... It's it's so smooth and so earnest that it's like, you can't even, I couldn't get mad. I couldn't get mad about doing a forced eel and feel rhyme because the hook was too good. Yeah, it's it's super good. Like, this is a very, very solid pop tune. And so, so here's what this song is. It is a, a funk kind of, yeah, it's kind of, it's like a funk disco going on here. Yeah. And it, it's like a pop disco track. With good ass grooves, good ass hooks, and like melodies and everything, it, it's and it's it's really well produced, and it has that like brick walled, uh, you know, red line production, which uh, pretty much this whole album does for the most part, and it, it really works here because it's just such a jam. Oh god, that bass every single time. I'm just yeah. This is a song where I can't sit still for it. <laughs> like I am always grooving, doing my white boy chair dance. Exactly. Every time I hear this song. <laughs> Love that white boy chair dance. You see, it's it works for me because it's all the action above the waist, where where it's where it's built for my uh, right ethnicity. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the interesting thing about this song is that it's not just a straightforward pop track. It's it's actually in it, it's very subtly in an odd key signature. And I don't know if you noticed, but no, no, go on. Most most songs and especially most pop songs are in four four time, which means four beats to a measure, and the the quarter note is the beat, and and so that's your your normal everyday, you know, one two three four kind of song. This song is is in six four, which means there's six beats to a measure. So you know you got your 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 bass line that's like. 
So it's like in divisions of six oh, yeah. instead of four, you know? God, now that you notice it, I, I hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so awesome. It's really cool when people can take an odd meter like that and uh, make it such a fun, dancey tune. I, I always love that. And they did it. This is probably the only song where I'm not going to critique it for anything. Yeah. Because <laughs> any critique that I have is just like, but it works. But it works. <laughs> but it, it, it really does work. <laughs> so so then we got Kids, which is the, the MGM... It, it's MGMT's Whip It. it I don't like this song because of reasons. <laughs> uh, what did, Tell me what you thought of it. I think that the hook is very good. Yeah. I, I, very effective, at least. I didn't dislike this song, but I didn't love this song. There was nothing in this song that really got me, like, really jazzed about it. Like, Electric Eel... Or like <laughs> Electric Eel. <laughs> see like electric feel at least had that novelty to it where it's like oh my god like this i'm gonna hear this and it's gonna be funny every single time it's gonna be clever every <laughs> single time yeah kids i heard kids once and i was like all right i figured kids out yeah you just get it so instantly there's nothing else it's kind of shallow right and that's fine i i think what really sold kids in the pop consciousness is it's got that killer hook and it's got not a whole lot of depth necessary to get it. The hook works, the refrain works. It, it's, it doesn't need a whole lot to be lodged in your mind completely. And I think what, what appeals to, about this song to a lot of people is that it sounds like it could be really deep. And, and a lot of people who listen to this kind of music are, are be like, They'll be like, oh man, that's so deep. Without like really looking more into it, they'll just, they'll be like, they just like things that sound yeah. deep. Like, like Tool, you know? <laughs> not saying anything <laughs> bad about Tool. I love Tool, by the way. But like, they're definitely yeah, they too. they have like poetry that like they're they're like definitely could be something there. But like, as a, a an analytical music listener, I hear it and I go like, Are you even like saying anything right now? <laughs> but then again, I don't know what they're you know. I can't. I'm not in the artist's mind. There could be something to it, but it just sounds so like superficially deep. And I think the real problem with it is that it comes in contrast to a lot of the other stuff that, I mean, I've probably gone completely off the fucking rails just, like, <laughs> looking into other stuff about the lyrics and about the themes. But even with that, like, I don't find a whole lot in this. It's very generalized. It's very... I mean, it's simple. Which makes it a great pop hit. Like, that's why it's so overplayed. The, the, the one thing I do really hate about this song is okay. the sound of the, the children screaming sampled in it. Oh, yeah. I hate that. I don't want to yeah, hear that. Yeah, that's not... Don't put, <laughs> don't put screaming children in your songs. And, like, it comes right after Electric Feel, so, like, I'll have it turn way up in my car, like, jam into it, and then Kids comes after that, and I just hear, like, ah, we're kids, we're kids. <laughs> I'm like, fuck off, children. <laughs> yeah, there's your fuck off moment for this album. I had mine earlier. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I wish, I really wish they didn't do that. Oh, I wish. Because, I, like, I want this song to be, like, a little bit better. Because the hook really is strong. It works. Yeah. But, like, not, at what cost? <laughs> yeah. I What I do really like is the music video for this song. And I'm not really much of a music video person, because a lot of times I feel like the visual element can distract and, and change how I perceive the music. So I'll usually only listen if I know the song already. But the music video for this song is really cool, and it has Joanna Newsom in it, who I love. I, uh, but that's besides the point. Uh, as a mom, and she's like carrying around this little kid, a little a little tiny child, and the child is seeing these horrible, horrible monsters everywhere, and 
it, it's really cool and like I love the video because it's all of course uh practical effects all the monsters are people in suits or puppets and they're horrifying like they're absolutely disgusting I love it I gotta check that out now it's, it's like Silent Hill meets like Willy Wonka you know like wow it's those geez. kinds of monsters you know like just really demented and like it kind of makes me like this song a lot more when I'm looking at that <laughs> just imagining it with that imagery but i still don't like the song the, 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 the cool thing i guess the, the point of the music video is the, the gist of it basically is that the kid is seeing these monsters and, and freaking out and screaming and crying and joanna newsome the mom doesn't see them at all and just kind of ignores the kid and it's kind of funny and it's kind of making a statement i guess but i don't i don't really get too much into that but it's just well crafted enough yeah, I just appreciate the effects. As a tokusatsu fan, I love stuff like that. And as a horror fan, it, it really hits my buttons. So, track six, fourth dimensional transition. I like this one, actually. Yeah, I dig it. But I don't think it's super great that I like it. It's a kind of a weird prog rock, psych rock kind of thing with like these cool kind of Egyptian scale notes in it. And, and it, it really goes some places and it kind of takes you on a bit of a little journey. It's a good transition to the back half of the album. It is. Yeah, because th this is literally the transition from the poppy side of the album kids to the more experimental side, which which is also which telegraphs more what they're going to be like later on, especially on their third album, which is all weird psychedelic shit. Uh, this track, is, I also like the last thing I have about it, basically. Uh, the percussion in it is this this assault of bongos and congas and yes. that kind of percussion and it's really cool i loved that i also wrote down that the guitar work on this one is also like oh what is it uh miserlou dick dale kind of thing yeah it has that like surf rock kind of twang going on right which is applied to this harmonic minor scale it's pretty cool effect it's kind of an ethereal little psych rock tune. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the sort of psych rock. I also really got into, I guess, um, psych metal. So when I see that kind of stuff show up in here, because I'm not a huge pop fan in general. Like, I'm, I'm surprised that I love this as much as I did. But it also does have more of this, the psych rock stuff to it. So when it got to this half of the album, I'm like, oh, hey, what is this? Sweet. <laughs> I, th I feel like pop is just, if it's well crafted, it's just good music. That like yeah no definitely anyone right. can like and, and this is definitely well crafted pop music on the first half of this thing yeah it's just normally and this is gonna change as we go through the rest of these because a lot of these albums are various flavors of pop like I I'm learning to love pop and I'm finding my zone in popular music but walking into this I'm much more at least nominally a, a rock and roll kind of guy yeah me well I mean. Same here, and, and especially I like weirder stuff and more out there kind of, you know, stuff. But I have embraced my inner pop lover <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in recent recent years. I'm a huge, huge fan of Carly Rae Jepsen. I've actually started listening to some Beyonce a little bit and going back and listening to some Britney Spears. It's really good stuff. Because normally when I'd heard pop music before is in the mindset of I would much rather be listening to something else right now. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, i don't want to yeah. be hearing this right now but when i go out and seek it for myself it's a very different feeling and when i can sit down and listen to a whole carly ray jepson album or a whole beyonce Knowles album it's like wow this is really good like there's a lot of ideas here and like well-crafted stuff that's a big old tangent but it will be relevant when we review some other albums on our list so if you're ready to move on we got track seven yes yes pieces of what what do you think i i'm I'm really interested because my first response is going to be, well, what do you think? Because the way that you described this earlier, you, do you like this song? No, I don't. Okay. Because I, I think I kind of do. It's interesting. Which is very, very weird because 
Like, this has a lot of hallmarks of stuff that I have said in the past that I'm not a big fan of. Okay. Like, the vocal styling is very... I mean, it's grating, to, yeah. to put it politely. <laughs> like, it's it's very yelly and very distant. Like, he had to shout from across the room to get it into the mic. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the kind of stuff that I've said in the past. Like, no, I don't like it. Gotta give me some some real quality in in the music or in the, uh, the singing in order to get me invested. <laughs> Right. But like, I don't know, this, there was something about all of the elements coming together on this track that struck me, I guess. I feel like it has the songwriting behind it that's decent enough if you dig into it. I, I just, I, I feel like it's, from what I gleaned from the lyrics, it, it didn't really sound like anything, <laughs> but there might be more to it. Yeah, I mean, th- th- I'll admit this is one that I didn't really try and dig through as much. The number one thing about all of these songs is that they've really picked a point to focus on in the music one way or another uh-huh. and stuck to that. Like, they've they've honed that point in the song and, and, like, shined that to the best polish that they could. So you get, especially in the front half of the album, these hooks that are just, like, individually I will get these hooks stuck in my head completely separate from the rest of the music. You need to listen to MGMT's second album, because it's in an entirely different league and i know this is a good album and i think you like it more than i do because you haven't heard their other albums that's probably right that's probably (laughs) correct i'm just realizing this like to me this is this is stuff that i have no background on and all that i'm getting from it is these hooks are solid as hell which means that if there's a whole nother like category of hooks that i haven't heard yet I'm, I'm not comparing them to those. And, and what I what I really appreciate about their later work is he never uses that vocal style again used in this song. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the selling point for me. The vocal styling wasn't the point that I think was was pushed. I think the idea of using pieces of what as a refrain was pushed. It's a relatively good little piece of poetry. Yeah, because he resolves it with pieces of what we used to call home. Right. And, and Pieces of What is is a really good answer to a tired rhetorical device, picking up the pieces. This, this I'll, Okay, I'll admit that I did go a little bit deeper into this. The idea of picking up the pieces of what is like, okay, we're trying to rebuild this, but did we ever really take a look at what we had built in the first place? Is it worth rebuilding? What the hell are the pieces? And so that little piece of poetry and using that as the focal point for the refrain and then tying the verses back into that for a couple different iterations of things breaking down and trying to get put back together, like, that's that's clever, and I think it worked. Which is a lot like the song Pick Up the Pieces by Average White Band, which <laughs> which I'm literally <laughs> only saying because of the title. Because <laughs> that song has no lyrics besides the phrase Pick Up the Pieces. Okay, hold on. I gotta, I gotta ask a genuine question here. <laughs> is Average White Band a goof? No, that's the name of the group. Really? They're, yeah, they're they're a classic funk band, actually. <laughs> they're they're awesome. Okay, because like in the vein of Nickelback, <laughs> that is exactly what a Nickelback esque band would be. It would just be an average white band. <laughs> so when you said that, I'm like, all right, is she? Go- am I being goofed? Is this is this clowning? Is this clownery that I have? No, pick up the pieces is a classic funk track <laughs> no, by there's... average white band. That's what they're called. That's incredible. <laughs> I wish they were I'm, on our list. That's <laughs> remarkable. Oh. Okay. 
<laughs> Sorry, I just had to to pull that one out. No, that's real. That was a good deep cut. I kept hearing you say the phrase "pick up the pieces," and I had to just pull that out. Listen to that song though; it's great. But yeah, th- this this song I will admit is not one of their strongest. But I had a very good feeling after hearing some of your initial comments that I liked it a hell of a lot more than you did. As goes for this whole album, I think. Yeah, we got track eight of Moons, Birds, and Monsters, which is a cool ass title but this song is probably for me at least uh the most forgettable song other than the last one i've listened to this a lot of times and i can't i couldn't like sing you any melodies from it it has like a kind of good like driving beat but it ends up sounding like kind of a typical indie rock song yeah i think i agree with that it's got sort of a retro feel to it which is weird in the context of kind of all the other songs because they're all sort of reworking older musical styles in a way. Like they're all borrowing from the past, but this is the one that stuck out to me as really feeling more like its source material than a, a reinterpretation of it. What I do like about this track is the two and a half minute outro, which is just a kind of psych rock jam. <laughs> I did like that. I wish it was more of that. Uh, I don't really have much else to say on that matter. I I do wish that this song had a little bit more to it. I, I like the back half of this album, but I keep scrabbling to find the really good stuff at the, at the heart of it. Because it's not that good, my dude. It's not! <laughs> I know, but there's like, there's pieces. I keep finding little bits and parts that are like, you were so close. Th- this album is definitely, I mean, it's their first album, right? And like, it, it's, yeah, it, yeah. you can definitely hear how foundational it is to their later albums. So it, it is good and valuable in that aspect. And, and it has some really good songs on it, but I feel like these are not those good songs. Yeah, I can agree. So then we got The Handshake, the second to last track. And this one I actually, I'm conflicted about because I really like the melodies and the songwriting. And it, and it's kind of simple, like, you know, it's it's most, it's kind of a little more stripped down than most of the tracks here. And it's kind of almost like even a classic rock song kind of sounding thing, but with a weird vocal effect on it. But then it gets to the, the end of the song where they just start chanting, we got the handshake under our tongue. And they chant that for so long, and I wish that was just, like, a ten-second outro and not, like, the last third of the track. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. It's like, okay, I get it. On to the next track, please. I think during my later listens, I would space out near this part so it didn't feel nearly as long. But now that I'm thinking back, yeah, that took a long time to resolve. You had such a strong, like, basis of a song there, and then instead of ending it with like song you just started chanting a phrase <laughs> until it was over <laughs> like this is the kind of thing that you can do maybe at concerts if you really have the crowd on your side just like give them that moment but not on the studio track guys not it's not as good as you think probably a fun one live i did like the different layers or the different levels that this song played at because there's near the refrains if i'm remembering correctly a lot of the other instrumentation drops out yeah. And there's, you can feel different sizes of space that are being constructed in the song. And that did feel good. And like I said, it's a pretty solid song, other than that gripe I have with it. And I actually don't have much else to say. It's not super memorable, the last half of this album, just in general. No, I agree. Even though I, I like the style of it, there's a lot of it that I'm now struggling to recall, despite liking it a lot while I was hearing it. It's it's good sounds, but... The songwriting isn't always there to back it up that well. Even though I kind of just contradicted, I said that song had good songwriting, but I guess there wasn't enough tying it together that made it memorable. So now we got our last track, Future Reflections, which I thought was like the least memorable of all. Like even listening to it multiple times in a row, I'm like, what was this? <laughs> what was it like? It's really, it's really quiet and murmury. It's almost like an asthma thing. <laughs> He's right up here. 
and he's going to tell you about the reflections. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's... No, I might be thinking of the next album. It was at this point, dear listener, that I had confused the back half of this song for the back half of the song off the next album we'll review. But it flowed too well into the conversation, so I must edit in this disclaimer as I cut out the rest of my foolishness. Please continue. I think you just completely forgot what the song Future Reflections is. I know, because I remember the first part of this. I remember the first part yeah. of this song because it was it was murmuring. It was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. There were future reflections okay. on the face and the hands. <laughs> maybe, maybe they wanted. By the end of it, I'm just like asleep. Maybe they wanted this album to be something to go to sleep to. Yeah, like you start out. You started at like. <laughs> <laughs> you put it on like half speed. Started at like nine, and then by ten thirty, you're asleep. <laughs> but I will say about future reflections, it would benefit greatly from having a more dynamic production range because it's it's always the same volume level same with this whole album really like there's very little dynamic range here there's no quiet like there, there's like quiet parts but they're just as loud as the loud parts and you can tell they're supposed to be quiet so th- this album suffers a lot from that which is weird because it's really heavily produced as well it, well i feel like here's a, an example of overproduction really yeah they they compressed it too much and now it all sounds the same I just, it's it's weird to me because it's, like, you can tell that these guys really like the production aspect because there's so many parts of this and the layered compositions of it and all of the electronic stuff that is just piled higher and deeper on this stuff. And then you get the sense that they don't quite know when to stop. I, I feel like they, they managed it a lot better on their second album. And then on their third album, uh, which is self-titled, they kind of just went crazy with it and just did that, like, so over the top and made it the point of it it's it's super strong for that i think but their second album congratulations is what i think i'm now talking to the listeners <laughs> and you <laughs> if you listen to this and and you thought it was like pretty good you should definitely listen to mgmt's second album congratulations and if you want something even spacier weirder more out there listen to their third album self-titled mgmt is a great group like it sounds like i don't like them doing this review like it sounds like i don't like them that much i love mgmt i've seen them live they're great this is just kind of a rough start yeah that's totally fair i mean i'm coming at it from a completely outsider perspective and this is the kind of album that i could see myself listening to a lot yeah but it's also something that i have no reference point for yeah, and I used to listen to it a lot. It just doesn't hold up that well to so many listens. I will have to find that out, because I know that I'm going to hear this at least one more time and definitely go on to the next stuff. So that'll about, just about wrap it up for Oracular Spectacular. I, 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 this is interesting, because it's kind of the first time we're not exactly on the same page on something. Because before, we've always been like, oh yeah, this album's great, it's super great, everything is super great. <laughs> <laughs> but here I'm like, I'm like I don't know. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's good. I love it. We've finally gotten at the heart of our musical relationship. Yeah. Because before this, we we had a lot of stuff that was at least one of these albums is something that neither of us have heard. And that is not at all how it has been when we are actually like hanging out and recommending music to each other. Because that, I say recommending music to each other, but that has almost entirely been (laughs) one-sided. Like I've gone to you and been like, teach teach me, teach me how to do this. Uh, Teach me what are good. Well, you know what, though? <laughs> you you gave me clipping. <laughs> uh, that is true. And, and a few other things, I'm sure. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this, this very much feels like I'll get super jazzed about something, and then you'll be like, well, like, mm, are you sure? Hold on a second. Slow, slow your roll there. Let's, uh, <laughs> le- let's talk shop here. Like, I'm generally positive about music. I, I used to be really, like, super critical and, like, kind of, I, I had some, like, hate songs and, like, hate artists, but... 
Now I'm like, <laughs> everything is someone's thing, you know? But but here, it's like, this is an artist who has done much better work. Which is fascinating to me, because, again, being someone with no perspective on it, that's that's really cool to see. Yeah. Like, I'm more interested in knowing that there's more from this artist than, you've heard their best, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so after the break we'll be back with our other album we're reviewing this week yankee hotel foxtrot by wilco which i'm super excited to review stay tuned We are now on to album 493, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. I love this album. I hadn't heard this album before, but now I like this album. <laughs> that was a good song. <laughs> we should be Wilco. Why aren't we Wilco? Why Why aren't we Wilco yet? We could write Wilco. We can't write Wilco. No. <laughs> no, I, I instantly... Take it back. That's far too much pressure. We can't handle that. Wilco could barely handle being Wilco for this album. Seriously. Wilco is a American alternative rock band from Chicago. The main uh, creative force, at least for this album, is Jeff Tweedy, frontman, guitarist, singer, multi-instrumentalist, and Jay Bennett, also songwriter, multi-instrumentalist. All the songs on this album were written by the two of them together, except for I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, Heavy Metal Drummer, and Reservations, which really makes a lot of sense for the first example. I I'm, I'm going to try not to get my personal bias in, in this one too much, but it, it might end up being a little bit impossible. I've listened to this album a lot. It's kind of an alternative rock, kind of folksy, Americana-influenced thing. This is their fourth album, and their first three albums, especially the first two, are a lot more country-western-influenced, and they were called an alt-country band for a while. Their third album, Summer Teeth, and this album to a more of an extent, sheds the country elements a lot more kind of stops being country altogether although you can still hear t tinges of it a little bit in songs like jesus etc when it has that slide guitar come in and you're like this is country now yeah now that i'm thinking about it i, I can hear that a little bit it's nowhere near as pronounced as an actual country album would be but... yeah and i feel like you can't really after doing two albums of alt-country, you can't completely shed your roots entirely. They did it mostly. I don't know if they're consciously trying to, to, to maybe be taken more seriously in the indie scene. Yeah, this album also has a lot of controversy behind it. It's not like moral controversy, it's just like situational. Right, when I said that Wilco nearly stopped being Wilco for this album, they lost a drummer. He got fired for not fitting the style of the album enough. They did some takes of some of the songs, and he just didn't work with the creative vision, so they just replaced him. Which is a little bit regrettable for him. I mean, if you don't fit the style the band is going for, then, you know, you're out, I guess. I mean, it sucks, but then I hear the percussion on this album, and I'm like, kind of like the new guy. So the thing about this album is it, it blends its, like, Americana influence really interestingly with this completely out there, bizarro, super unconventional percussion. It, that includes drums and the auxiliary percussion. And you hear it instantly on the first track, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. Not to get into the track by track too early, to, not to jump right in, but it, it starts out immediately with like, I mean, you hear like the bass come in and, and like the piano and they kind of do a little thing. 
But then when the song really starts, the the drum beat it go it's like so sparse and like sporadic, and it, it goes like, and it's like this really weird thing with like these like wood blocks and bells and and clunks and clanks. Yeah. <laughs> It's so layered and it's all over the place, but then it slowly gels together and you're like, oh man, this is this is something I can really dig. That kind of percussion is prevalent through the whole album, along with a lot of experimentation with noise soundscapes and like static sculptures. <laughs> that sounds super pretentious, but... <laughs> no, it's there. It's there. It's a really three-dimensional sound album they do a lot with noise static and like weird distorted synthesizers a lot and stuff and oscillating synth loops and which is crazy because for the first like many times i listened to this because like i listened to this as a teenager i didn't like analyze it deeply like i was reviewing it like i would now and i it took me a while to realize just like that it was weird and that it had all these weird things because to me it was just another like alt rock album a very good one but I don't know, I didn't tend to notice those things, probably because I was listening to much weirder stuff at the time. But for what this is, it's super weird. That was the difficulty that I had with it, because this is a lot weirder than most of the stuff that I listen to. There's a couple <laughs> things that I listen to that are maybe on par with as weird as this is, but they're not, they're, they're few and far between. Yeah. So the first time that I tried to listen to this album, I retained nothing. <laughs> I could not have told you a single lick from this album after I had listened to it for the first time. You know, that probably happened to me too, back when I first listened to it years and years ago. Th this album, more than anything we've listened to so far on this show, is a grower. This is going to take multiple listens to get. I believe it took me multiple listens to get all those years ago. This is the kind of album that the more you listen to it, the more it warms up to you. Or it might not if it's not your thing. I don't know. It, it warmed up to me because I, I did take my second and third listens more isolated. Like I put myself in a space where I could listen to an album rather than where I could hear music. Sure, yeah. There, and, and really trying to dig into the different pieces that I was hearing at one time, was I able to fully digest everything that I was getting out of this? And after that, I liked it a lot. It was really good. But it's it's super dense in a lot of different ways. So on top of all the weird percussion and noise and synthesizers, it is ultimately like a folk-oriented alt-rock album. And there's a lot of traditional songwriting going on here. And like on the surface level, it, it's actually super normal, which is weird. It's like, it's contradictory in that way. Yeah. I put a note on one of the later songs, but I think it extends to most of the album. This album does a good job of combining, and this is going to sound super spacey, I guess. Go for it. It combines, like, earthy feelings and airy feelings. Okay. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, because the noise aspects of it really give it this sort of spacey, spacious, aired out sort of quality. Yeah. But the lyrics for the most part, are earthy, they're crunchy, they're grounded. And a lot of the other instrumentation is grounded. And so you have this really weird contrast between the two where you'll be hearing one thing and then interpreting another, and it, it functions, 
but that's where you get some of the really disparate layers and the stuff that you need to figure out. And and I, I totally see what you mean with the the lyrics and and vocal being earthy, and also like the heavy use of acoustic guitar and stuff like that. So on, on the subject matter of this album, Jeff Tweedy, the frontman of Wilco, is. He has this persona of a very self-critical, just depressed, lonely, alcoholic everyman. I mean, everyman in the sense that he's nothing special. He's a mess on this album, which is what makes it so great. He starts off, and I know this, we're bleeding into track by track here, but the first line is, I am an American aquarium drinker. I assassin down the avenue, yeah. <laughs> aquarium drinker is I drink excessive amounts of alcohol. Yeah, that's the first thing you know. You gotta know about Jeff Tweedy on this album. The very first line. It's the first thing he tells you. This is his introduction <laughs> to you. Yeah, and, there, and there's other lines on this track that's like, you're so right if you think I've been drinking, if you said I've been drinking. There's, a, there's a, also a really big confessional tone on this album. A lot of this is Jeff kind of confessing how pathetic he is and how bad he perceives himself and his loneliness, his alcoholism and everything. But it doesn't come off as whiny. It comes off as sincere. Like he's trying to better himself and he's like really trying and he's getting it out through this songwriting. And there's also a theme on this album of Jeff Tweedy being unable to express these feelings in any way besides songwriting, which is so relatable to me because I'm not very much a person who expresses their feelings uh in a in an easy way and getting the message out through art it has that catharsis and that's really what this album is about in a lot of areas a lot of tracks on this especially on the first track i'm trying to break your heart and there's like lines on other songs that really really display this like all my lies are always wishes and yeah i mean might as well just start talking about <laughs> the the track i am trying to break your heart yeah let's let's get into track by track because each of these songs is so so much stuff to talk about yeah and then i've already talked about a lot of what i'm trying to break your hearts about it has it has sparse instrumentation which really fits what it's going for i mean like there's a lot of instruments going on but they're not playing super densely you know they're kind of playing lightly and jeff is singing these four line stanzas and there's five of them there's five stanzas that all end with the line what was i thinking when blank the first one is like what was i thinking when i let go of you and then he goes what was i thinking when we said hello you know like <laughs> it's like why did i even bother you're getting these snapshots of a relationship of a, a failing relationship <laughs> yeah a stream of consciousness just sort of looking back at all of these pieces that don't work together yeah the the relationship is not functioning a lot of this is about a, a broken relationship because i believe at this point jeff tweedy was a, a divorcee there's a lot of baggage that comes comes with that it's not super personal to me but it is relatable on a human level because obviously I'm, i've never been divorced <laughs> right right but you can definitely feel jeff's emotion here you can tell he's a man who he can't talk about his emotions. He has to sing about them. He's not the kind of person who can sit down with someone and tell them what he's feeling. He has to write a song about it. And I can really relate to that in a lot of ways. My favorite part of this is probably the very striking dichotomy between the verses and the... I guess it's... I mean, it's, it's the title drop. Yeah, because it, it only happens once <laughs> at the end of the song. The verses have... It starts off more flowy and more metaphorical, 
I I said the phrase that they used before, American Aquarium Drinker, and it's like, whoa, that's up there. Yep. And a lot of the verses are like that, and they slowly get more and more coherent until the chorus, which is just, I'm, I'm trying, trying to break, to break your, your heart. heart. I am trying to break your heart. Still, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't easy. I'm trying to break your heart. And that's that's it. That's the chorus. That's it. And it's so in your face. And right there, it's like, I'm not going to couch this right now. This is it. This is the point. And then he falls back out of it. Yeah, and when he sings that that chorus, most of the instrumentation drops out. And it's just like a cacophony of bells and percussion, auxiliary percussion, just banging in the background while he sings this this feeble line so good like th this track is a great introduction this hits a lot of the highs and the lows it gets what i was saying before with the air and the earth yeah that it's got it's got the breezy quality the dreamlike quality in the verses and then it strips all of that away for the chorus yeah and gets really in your face and then falls back and lets you fall back with it yeah, and it kind of grooves back into the instrumental. I, I liked this song a lot. It took me a long time to figure it out. Yeah, definitely. Like, it took me a while to, to get into it, but once I had it, it gripped me for the rest of the album. <laughs> it, like, this album really exemplifies what the album's about, I feel. And especially in the, like, instrumentation-wise and vocals and lyrical content-wise. Um, and, and here Jeff is using this vocal style that's, like, really quiet and feeble and, like, he's not really trying super hard, you know? Like, he's not, he's barely singing. <laughs> he's kind of talking like how I'm talking right now, but with a melody. It's just this really sad portrait of a man. The last thing that I will say that this song sets up for the rest of the album is the layered acoustic guitars. Like, there's, there are a lot of tracks on this album that have multiple acoustic guitars playing two different similar rhythm parts at the same time. And I loved that. It's actually interesting you bring that up because Summer Teeth, the album before this, was a stylistic shift with Wilco where, because their first two albums, they would record live in the studio. They would have the whole band playing together without much overdubbing at all. And Summer Teeth and this album, to an even greater extent, do a lot of overdubbing and post-production and stuff like that, which is interesting. It creates a very different sound and allows a lot more experimentation as is displayed on this whole album. And, and, and also... At the end of this track, I'm trying to break your heart. There's a lot to talk about on this track. He kind of yells, like, as as the instrumental is, like, going crazy and just becoming noise, essentially. Because a lot of these tracks devolve into noise at the end, which is awesome. He starts, like, yelling the first verse again, but he changes the first line to disposable Dixie cup drinking. Which I feel like might have been the original first line, and he changed it. And then he sang the original version of the first verse at the end. God, yeah, I didn't even notice that. And then after that, the track is just entirely noise, and an acoustic guitar comes in, and he starts singing the song I'm the Man Who Loves You from much later on in the album. <laughs> like, he sings the chorus of that song. God. Really badly. <laughs> like, drunkenly, you know? And that really is like, I'm the man who loves you. See, I barely even picked that up because at that point, it's I was still trying to get everything together and that was the part where it was falling apart. So, oh man, there's so much here to pick up. And that's the first track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, the next track, Camera, is a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, there's not as much to say about it. It uses a lot more metaphorical language here. It's harder to pick apart, and there's definitely a still personal quality to it, but I feel like this is one where, and there's a lot of them like this, where Jeff kind of wanted to abstract his feelings to the point where 
it might not be easy to decipher because he doesn't want people to know. And that's super relatable. Um, it's kind of a more straightforward, poppy alt rock tune yeah a lot bouncier uh it's got a good cowbell in with the percussion that gives it a good sort of through line for the entire track but not it doesn't go a whole lot of different places which honestly that's fine because i sure as hell needed it yeah it's a good second track right it, it this this sort of lets you know that between the first two tracks here i got settled down a little bit because i heard i'm trying to break your heart and i kind of said to myself if i got to sit through 10 tracks of that i'm going to die yeah no there's a lot of emotional turbulence there that it's, it's hard to digest for sure but camera does reel it back yeah it's a good little exhale and and it and it does still have that experimental quality to the music where it has this weird auxiliary percussion, you know, like it's really clunky, and there's this oscillating drone synth in the back of it, too. Uh, so it, it sounds a lot more normal, but it is still weird. <laughs> and it has Jeff doing a more traditional vocal style, where he's actually... It's, he kind of sings pretty sweetly here. It's got a nice melody. He's singing uh, in octaves, where he's singing the low part and the higher part at the same time, overdubbing it. Uh, that actually might be Jay Bennett singing, I'm not sure, but either way, there's two vocal parts in this one, harmonizing and doing the octaves, and it's really nice. Yeah, it's very pleasant. Yeah, and, and there's also some real stuff in the lyrics, but I'll leave that up to the listener to dig into. Yeah. Which is a nice way of saying, I didn't prepare this. <laughs> it's weird, because it's almost, like, more straightforward such that it obscures it a little bit more. Yeah. Like, it's telling more of a realistic story, and it's not couching it in any obviously metaphorical language. Like, this could be about someone breaking a camera, but it's n obviously not about someone breaking a camera, but because it could be... <laughs> it's it's about Joseph Joestar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it tells a story, but it's... Because you know who's singing it, there's gotta be another story there. But because there's already the story at the front, you don't, like... It's, it's tougher to find that background story. I feel like this might be a song for him. Yeah. Yeah. So then we got our third track, Radio Cure. And I, I really like this one. This one's a lot more like the first track in the way that it's really subtle and dark. Very sparse instrumentation here, for sure. It's got this, like, radio noise static going on throughout the whole thing that's really cool. You know, he's singing this really somber melody that's, you know, like, cheer up. Honey, I hope you can. Yeah, I've never heard someone sing the words cheer up so sadly before. <laughs> you know, he's singing, singing lines like, there's something wrong with me. I feel like this is him, sadly, like, I, I don't even know, like, trying to cope. It's got a good dichotomy to it. The, the verses mirror each other a lot, because the first verse is about having a mind full of silvery stars and fluff and air. And then the second verse is filled with Radio Cure's electronic surgical words. These are a lot more, like, square-shaped words. Mirror images of what's in his head, and it's fluffy, airy stuff, and, like, really sharp, clinical sorts of words. And to have the two of them set a, set next to each other, you get sort of an idea that he is... The, the thing that's wrong with him is this brokenness of self. Yeah, I, I really love this song and the, the feelings that it invokes... And it it has a lot of emotion in it. The most interesting part about it is the, like, near the end of the song, it completely changes. Well, I mean, music-wise, but mostly tone-wise. Because, like, these bells come in, and, like, this synth melody, it's, like, a really nice, bright melody. And uh, he starts singing in a lot more of an up upbeat 
way and the drums come in and he sings distance has no way of making love understandable i don't, i feel like the the reason this part of the song is much brighter might be thematic to him kind of conceding that like maybe this isn't his fault the the phrase distance has no way of making love understandable i could write a fucking thesis paper about those two <laughs> lines like i mean i've already gone on at length about less stuff before yeah. <laughs> but holy crap, like those two words just feel so, or those two lines just feel so carefully crafted. There's a lot of different ways to interpret that. Distance from a love that's yours, distance from a love that somebody else has. What what even level of understanding are you trying to get out of it? Are you trying to cope with it? Are you trying to keep it alive? Like, there's so many people that that sentence, that sentiment could be for. It's genius. And he, he repeats this line a bunch at the end, and, and he starts, like, yelling it, and, like, his voice starts cracking, and you really feel it. Yeah, there's just a ton of emotion poured into that, and I like the fact that you can't really pick a direction on the emotion. I mean, you get an idea that he feels a lot about this, but it's not entirely clear who or what it's aimed at. And I think that's important. Yeah. Well, and, and it's the thing where... He might be abstracting it to the point where he doesn't want you to know. Yeah. So, And then we got our fourth track, War on War, which is a lot more like the second track, Camera. More of a poppy, upbeat thing going on. Uh, the lyrics are more straightforward here, too, yet also abstracted. And what really what makes this song stick out is the uh, synthesizer line, you know, the... Yeah, yeah. It's like playing throughout and it's like, it's like oscillating and like they're changing the frequency and messing, turning the knobs and stuff throughout the whole <laughs> song. And, and it, it ends with this, this buildup of, of instrumental and there's looping that and like distorting it more and more until it's noise. And I don't know. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this song war on war does at first listen seem to be kind of annoying though <laughs> yeah the uh the start off is it's a war on war and then you just say that like 18 times and it, it's a lot of he, he says it a lot of times yeah yeah <laughs> and then he gets into the melody and... yeah yeah it keeps going and you're like oh okay we're here this is fine and the way the melody of this song flows it kind of feels almost like a campfire song but it's like way too weird to be a campfire song he he has lines here like i'm not your typewriter and i don't really know what that means but i really like that line yeah and there's a lot you could think about with that uh you have to learn how to die if you want to be alive right that's that's like one of the things i don't really know what he's trying to say there but it's, right there's it's a, a lot thing. of different ways it could go but it feels good i don't know i don't really know what to make of this track a lot but i like it these songs are weirdly catchy while i'm here but then they're, they're hard to hold on to i guess oh i mean i i can remember this song from the back but it's just like I don't know what else to say about it is the thing. Which brings us to one of the highlights of the album, one of the most like acclaimed tracks that people always talk about, Jesus Etc., which is a funny title when you hear it, but originally it was just called Jesus Don't Cry, which is the first line of the song. And, and they changed it to Jesus Etc. because they thought it was funny, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's literally it. You know, you got to put up this this, uh, this front of, of goofiness to, which is awesome. I love when artists do that. To be honest, yeah, it does. It makes this feel a lot more approachable and a lot more conversational, I guess. And this track is is actually the first and one of the only like two tracks on this album that doesn't have 
that weird percussion going on and the weird noise and the synthesizers, this is a pretty straightforward song. What it does have is violins. Strings. The, the strings are awesome. On I this love one. the strings on this song so much. <laughs> oh. It has these, these cool like hooks with the strings and they play throughout too and make it kind of dramatic. And, and they also do like a plucky string part, which is cool. And... Yeah. Oh man. I love this song. I think this is probably, I think this is definitely my favorite song on the album. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's got such a really good range to it. And all of the string parts sound so lovely. The lyrical construction of this feels a lot more like this sounds closer to classic rock than any, anything else on the album. So I get both sides of it. I get the, Oh, this sounds more familiar to the stuff that I like, but also this is more in line with a lot of the stuff that I listen to now. The one band that I thought of a lot while I heard this song was um, The Heavy. Okay. I got into them because they did the theme song for a bunch of Borderlands games. I find music through a lot of other stuff nowadays, so that's where I'm at. Um, But then I went and listened to a lot of their albums, and they have more of a folksy instrumentation, but doing more like r&b blues kinds of songs okay yeah that sounds cool yeah and and this this is kind of what made me think of that because it's got the the strings the the very high strings contrasting with the other more classic rock instrumentation it's very bass and bass and organ driven electric organ there's not a whole lot of guitar on this thing but uh there's that part in like the second verse or the third verse i think this like country western ass slide guitar comes in and it's like awesome because you haven't heard anything like this on the whole album up to this point yeah and it just slides in so naturally you know like the you know i don't do it justice but <laughs> uh you know and like it, it comes in just for a minute it doesn't stay long either it adds it's just like a really nice touch to that and you know, the strings are still flowing and doing their thing. The lyrical content on this song is poetic as hell, and it's got a, re- a lot of really nice... I say nice, but there's a lot of, like, sad imagery. Yeah, but it's it's a good... It's a sad that you can lean into, really. That's a lot of this album, I think, is a sad that you can lean into and be with. Uh, there, there was a track on one of the last albums that we mentioned. I said I referred to it as, like, it feels like a drinking buddy. Like, a, a song that you can commiserate with. Stuff that feels sad but relatable and accessible to people who, even if you're not the same kind of sad or not sad about the same things, this comes and says, hey, you can be with me for a while. And that's really how this whole album feels in terms of approachability. Jeff Tweedy is explaining and, you know, waxing poetic about his troubles, and you can kind of join him. And I feel like that's really beautiful. Yeah, but yeah, Jesus, etc. is definitely a highlight here so then we we get on to the second half of this album uh ashes of american flags which is a much more somber slower sad track too and it has that one guitar riff that's kind of repeated throughout that's really cool you know the yeah and and they use that in like they put it in different contexts of the melody to make it sound different which is interesting but it is repeated there's one line in this song, I mean, th- this song has great lyrics. This is another, like, the lyrics are so real and so good here. I agree. And one of my yeah. favorite lines on this whole album is when he says, I wonder why we listen to poets when nobody gives a fuck. Yes! Oh, oh I wrote that one down and I was just like, that, oh, that's so good. 
I love and it. And I got to it first. Yep. <laughs> the first verse of this thing is just Jeff Tweedy describing getting money from an ATM in detail and going to buy a Diet Coke and some cigarettes. And then he gets into, like, real shit. It's kind of a jarring transition from that description of something mundane into something emotional, which is a really interesting poetic device that I don't see a lot, and it's kind of awesome. Now that I'm looking at it, too, he's describing a mundane act poetically and then asking why the hell does anybody listen to this yeah why am i like why why are you even talking like what am i even talking about yeah he's like i'm just writing words right and then immediately <laughs> after that is what feels like almost the most poetic line in the verse like how hot and sorrowful this machine begs for luck yeah he describes the atm like in a really weird poetic way immediately after saying why do we listen to poets <laughs> It's fucking brilliant. I love it. That's really cool. Like personifying this machine for no reason other than to make a, a statement about art. Like the first four lines where he's describing the thing aren't, I mean, they're poetic-ish in terms of their meter, but they're pl very plain words. And then the very last line after Decrying Poets is the most poetic, maybe on this album. Yeah. <laughs> like the most trying poetic. And then, and after that, in like the chorus of the song, he goes way poetic with a very very good good line that just resonates a lot when he says all my lies are always wishes i wish i could die if i could come back new or i think i would die if i could come back new i believe but like it's like wow he lies a lot as a alcoholic broken man with emotional baggage and problems but when he lies it's what he wants to be true and he really wants to start over fresh but he he can't that's kind of the emotional low point of this whole thing i think yeah because he's basically saying hey i don't have anything if i knew that i could give this another shot i'd just die right now yeah like i'd be okay with it and that's heavy that's wow it's super heavy and and i'm not really sure how this subject matter relates to the title and the last part of the song where he says i'd like to salute the ashes of american flags and all the fallen leaves filling up shopping bags. Right, so he's he's kind of relating to these things that have been forgotten, discarded, that are deemed useless, trash. Like, it's, it's, he was comparing himself kind of and, like, relating to this waste, which is really interesting. And, like, the Ashes of American Flags is such a important part of that because it's, like, something that was perceived as um, valuable and symbolic of something greater is now nothing right and i'm not really sure what to make of that but it's obviously very personal to jeff Tweedy, and it's an amazing line and uh, musically this song is really sparse it's really drum and piano driven mostly but it has that electric guitar like that really kind of sweet little guitar riff that repeats throughout to effect and it kind of repeats like too much at the end maybe for effect and symbolically it also has a lot of noise in it so then we got the seventh track, Heavy Metal Drummer. Tell us something about that. This one's so fucking catchy. Yeah. It's so bouncy <laughs> and lively, and it's it's almost, like, funny at how simple it is. <laughs> this is one of the few songs that I am comfortable saying could be taken at face value almost. Oh, sure, yeah. Like, there's a lot of stuff where you got to dig into it and figure it out. This could very well just be about missing those summer days when you were kids and going to see a bunch of different shows. Yeah, definitely. And, and like, I can relate to that a lot, definitely. And uh, he's talking about these these metal bands. And he, he says in a lot in the chorus, she fell in love with the drummer. She fell in love with another. It's kind of humorous. 
even. Like, he doesn't really seem to be too upset about that because it happened so long ago, you know? Yeah. Like, his yeah. maybe his girl left him for this drummer, and he was probably really upset at the time. But looking back on, the day, on those days, like, he probably, he's like... Wow, I can't believe that happened. Like, that's hilarious. Right, and casually following it up with another and another. It's like, it just keeps happening. It's, <laughs> it happened. It was a long time ago, you know? I guess this is one of the few songs where he's kind of come to peace with some of it. And the only thing that he's really regretting is that he's not still back there in those days when that was really, in the grand scheme of things, okay. When he's talking about these simple heavy metal bands of, you know, the the 90s or whatever it's probably early 90s i'm guessing he's probably like pining for those days where he could just go to a show and listen to an amateur heavy metal band playing kiss covers beautiful and stoned (laughs) (laughs) instead of what he's doing now which is probably you know like being involved in the indie scene and dealing with all these pretentious deep intellectual bands and people and And stuff hustling to write that kind of music too i mean yeah exactly like he misses that Yeah, because it's so different from performing stuff that exists and then having to craft that stuff in the first place. Because it's way more involved, and if you're trying to do that for your livelihood, that's tough. Especially when it's so, so personal and and heavy like this. Yeah. So this song is a very much, it's a very different approach than the rest of the album. Like, it's, it's, it's basically a pop song, as is the, the next track also, I'm the Man Who Loves You. But this one is more poetic, I think. Less straightforward. What do you think of this song? I'm curious. I'm the Man Who Loves You. I really enjoyed this song because of the powerful intro, the distorted guitar at the very beginning. Like, yeah. sold. Fucking, I'm there. It's there. <laughs> and then we use the word swagger a lot to describe the uh, white stripes. Yeah. Swagger exists pretty much fundamentally in this song on this album and nowhere else. Pretty much. <laughs> this is the one song where he seems confident and like a rock star you know he's singing this this song and it's like a big upbeat rock song with with horns and trumpets and 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 saxophones and stuff and it's awesome the melodies here are really strong the verses are kind of word salads of you know all i can see is black and white and white and pink of blades of blue that (laughs) lay between the words i think on a page I was meaning to send to you. I couldn't tell if I'd bring my heart the way I wanted when I started writing this letter to you. It's it, it whines so much and just sort of sways about with the words. Like, the lines bleed into each other. Yeah, and especially the chorus. I know we just about said the first third of the song, but I love the chorus so much. But if I could, you know, I would just hold your hand and you'd understand. And you feel him, like, falling to the floor in this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I'm the man who loves you. <laughs> Which I love, like, after hearing him, like, sing it, like, badly and drunkenly on the first right, track. Right, Like, that's such a great touch. He's, like, pleading. He's he's on his hands and knees here. Like, <laughs> he's writing this love letter. He's pathetic. You know, like, and I love how he poetically describes a fucking piece of notebook paper. so great this is the track where he sounds the most confident lyrically in himself like this is the description of himself and what he's doing in the lyrics is most confident and this is the one where you're most like jeff are you are you sure like everything (laughs) when he's telling you that he's an alcoholic and he's fucked up and he's got all these problems and everything's going wrong for him you're like yeah man i know it and then when he's like I'm the man who loves you. You're like, all right, Jeff, you might need to like, sit a, you might just need to sit down for a sec. Like, we need to keep an eye on you for a sec. Are you sure you're doing okay? Which is so messed up, but it's exactly right for him. 
I love how fitting the electric guitar is here, playing these like crazy wild riffs, like the yeah. Oh my god! And, and at the end of the song, he just he just like starts playing notes. Like, <laughs> it's not even like a, like the whole the rest of the song and dropped out. It's over, and he's still like playing the guitar like. <laughs> and that's, he's like wait hold on i got wait hold on right right that's really what this whole song feels like is wait 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 hold on look look at me look at me for one more second like just give me just give me a sh- give me a shot <laughs> and that's that's why it feels a little bit more like oh man are you doing okay because this feel this feels like an act of desperation once you get past the swagger yeah like this is coping <laughs> and another thing i love like there's so many details like in the second verse, the second verse is actually one couplet shorter than the first verse, and it like just cuts out those beats. Yeah, you know, it just cuts them out, and it's like there's like a jarring transition to the next part of it. You have to like listen to it again and again to like really realize this, but like it just feels off. Yeah, in like such a weird way that's like amazing. It just throws you a little bit off kilter, and that's exactly how the song is. And it's also super catchy and has these awesome horns and, and yes stuff. yeah it does <laughs> and and the backup vocals going like Ooh. <laughs> yeah great song which brings us to track nine pot kettle black which is you know more down to earth after that whole shebang this one is more about how he's talking about someone else's problems here but he he really doesn't want to be a hypocrite with spending the rest of the album talking about his own problems he doesn't feel nearly as comfortable talking about somebody else's. I also love the lines, uh, every song's a comeback, every moment's a little bit later in the chorus. Those lines accompany this orchestral swell that's happening in the song, yeah. oh. which is awesome. And the way he says every song's a comeback makes me think he might uh, have a hard time writing sometimes. Uh, and there's a couple other lines on here, I can't remember specifically, that kind of give me that feeling. Like, he ha- he's a guy who has a hard time expressing his emotions, Maybe it's the same way with songwriting. Like, every song is a comeback, as in he'll write a really good song and then just be stuck for a while. Yeah. You know? And every moment's a little bit later, as in he's running out of time, you know? This album is not exactly in line with how I perceive stuff, so that's why I'm not as jazzed about it as you are. But Oh, yeah, this album is, is very challenging, like we said before. Yeah. This is not an easy album to digest, no matter who you are, I think. Right, like, right, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is that this part really stuck with me. Like, this is the part where I'm like, oh, God, yeah, I know that. Because there are... When I make stuff, there's a lot of... If I can't make something that throws me off in a really bad way. Like, if there's something that right. I'm trying to make, and I've made it a hundred times before, but I'm stuck on it, like, that slows me down completely. Like, that that shuts me down. That makes me feel really, really, like, anxious. Yeah, definitely. When you get to that point where you can put yourself in a situation where you can do that sort of thing again, then that's that's huge. I mean, it could be... You know, an hour out of the day where I try and do something and can't and then have to go and walk for like two hours and just like breathe to to settle down and be like, it's okay, this isn't going to last forever. That act of finally getting it out of your system and creating after this panic attack when you're like, oh, I I might not be able to make anymore. That is a comeback. It's it's definitely a very real feeling on this thing. So let's talk about track 10, Poor Places. Sure. What did you think of this one? I, the thing that stuck most with me on this one was the repetition of words 
about different people. Because he, they use the, the verse, his jaw's been broken, his bandages wrapped too tight. That's used twice. Once, it's a little bit confused about who it's talking about. And then the second one, it's obviously about him. Yeah, because he, he basically sings that verse again, but changes the word his to my. Right. And he says, my fangs have been pulled. I'm, after having listened to it, if I listened to it again, I'd pick up all of the melody completely, but I was so invested in the words on this one that I can't remember too much about the instrumentation. It, it is one of the less memorable ones, I'd mm -hmm. say, but the, the poetry is here and it's yeah. strong. Yeah, oh my god. So it's it's got this, like, it has the radio static a lot in this one, too. Kind of reminding me of Radio Cures. There's, you know, the acoustic guitar and everything. And when he gets to, well, I don't remember the line, but <laughs> I don't remember when it happens. <laughs> But there's a point in the song, all the instrumentation drops out, but the noise, like the radio static, and a piano comes in playing this like dissonant chord yeah. while he sings, and it's really beautiful. Yeah. And I, that, that part sticks with me a lot. I remember the ending of this song being very cathartic, too. This song is probably the biggest grower on the album because, like, I could, I know it's a good song, but even having listened to it as many times as I have, I have a hard time remembering how it goes, like the melody. Yeah, that's where I'm at because I, I mean, I remember liking it a lot and I know a good portion of the lyrics now, but the, the actual content of the song escapes me to the point where I also forgot that this was the point where we get the title drop. Yeah, it does have the title job. The uh, sample they take from a Numbers Station album or recording collection. It's a woman saying the phrase Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and they loop it and repeat it and distort it and everything. It's really cool and kind of haunting. Wilco actually got in legal trouble for using this, and the case was settled, thankfully, for a small amount, because that's fucking stupid. <laughs> it's a Numbers Station. How do you have a copyright on a Numbers Station? Literally, that... The, the source that this came from, like, the, the company who released this collection of number station samples, they recorded these mysterious radio stations. They didn't produce the sounds. They recorded these stations that other people had made Jeez. and released it and claimed it and tried to take legal action over someone else using it. Fuck you. That's so stupid. <laughs> God. Yeah. And, and, and plus, like, that album has been sampled by plenty of other artists, too. Because that's just, people like number stations, they're cool. Alright, so then we got our last track, Reservations. And this one is just kind of, it's like soul-wrenching and... Yeah. He's singing about how he is broken and trying to assure the person he's talking to that it's not their fault. And it's him that's yeah. the problem. Oh my god. That's... Because he knows that people tend to blame themselves for things like this and he wants to be like, no, no, no. It's it's just me. I'm the one who's shitty. <laughs> and I, I love that. I love this song. He says, I, I have reservations about so many things, but not about you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about. sitting here thinking about it. It's like, oh, oh, wow. I've, uh, dear listener, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm, I'm laughing right now and because I have to cope with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that's how, that's where I'm at. There's so much on this that feels so personal yet is so accessible. And that is yeah. a remarkable feat of songwriting. Yeah. And the more that I sit and deconstruct this, like I walked into this recording of this episode saying, yeah, I like it, but... I remember that and I was surprised. 
I was surprised to hear you say so many positive things about almost every track when at the beginning you said you thought it was like good and you, I like this, <laughs> you know, this, as you said, and you said this to me before we recorded, you said it to me while we've recorded. It is a grower. It grows on you. And the more that I get in talk about this kind of stuff, the better I am to really get in deep and hear what's being said. I mean, that sounds kind of stupid, but there's so many layers of abstraction on top of this stuff that it's hard yeah. to pinpoint everything. No, yeah, definitely. And like talking about it with someone else who's able to express those kinds of feelings, it's like, yeah, man, I'm there. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, it's heavy stuff, yeah. you know? The same thing goes with a lot of music I like. Like I didn't really like some of my favorite albums that much when I first listened to them or I thought they were good or okay. And after like listening to them more and more, like something drew me back to them that I kept listening and I end up just loving them so much. Like, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is definitely one of those, and I'm so glad it has the acclaim that it has, because it could have easily just not had the acclaim, or it could have easily not existed. <laughs> yeah, we actually didn't get into all of the problems that this album had. It was originally going to be published by one company, and then that company got bought out. That was part of the uh, AOL Time Warner merger, I think. Uh, <laughs> which is whoa, which, horrible. And, and they, they <laughs> lost their producer who was advocating for them to the record label. So the record label was like, what the hell is this? Get out. <laughs> and so they leaked it or put it online at some point, And it basically crashed the server that it was on with people trying to get to it. So they had like multiple record labels like bidding for it now. And they were finally able to get it on a disc. This album had a rough production cycle. and But it came out and it turned out really nice, which is awesome. Uh, there's also a documentary about this I didn't mention. There's a documentary called I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. You can get it on Amazon Video for like $4. It's probably awesome. I haven't watched it, but I really want to. Yeah, we keep finding stuff with documentaries about it that <laughs> we just need to... That we haven't gotten into yet. Well, because when you when you do the research for the reviews, you find, like, Wikipedia will be like, as, as shown in this documentary, blah, blah, blah. Right, like, oh, right. Huh. I should watch that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, this album's really great. Give it a listen. Listen to Oracular Spectacular. Tell us what you think. Also, if you like this Wilco album, or if you just want to get into more Wilco, Summer Teeth, the previous album, is also amazing in different ways. Their, their album after that, Ghost is Born, is great. Pretty much all their albums are at least solid. And if I could sell you on some of their album titles, their 2009 album is called Wilco, The Album. Nice. And Good. their 2015 album is called Star Wars. <laughs> it's just called Star Wars. I don't know why. I, I haven't listened to it, but it's probably good. And their album from this year, which is great, is called Schmilko. Nice. That's, just like I that like that a in. lot. <laughs> Wilco Schmilko. Schmilko. Oh, that's good. <laughs> they, they obviously have a sense of humor. Unfortunately, uh, Jeff Tweedy's co-songwriter on this album and on many Wilco projects, uh, Jay Bennett, passed away in 2009 oh yeah things happen and yeah. they they continued playing on after that so yeah give these albums a listen guys tell us what you like tell us what you didn't like no one's done that yet <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay you could be the first you could be the first to listen to an album that we review and <laughs> tell us what you think <laughs> next week we'll be reviewing touch by the eurythmics or i think they're just called eurythmics yeah, yeah. <laughs> touch by eurythmics and Born Under a Bad Sign by Albert King. Those will be interesting. Those will be very different, yeah. probably. We'll we'll have to connect those. <laughs> we have to, otherwise we have to quit. It's over. We have to uh, chop off one finger. <laughs> We're not... I, I, vetoed I didn't say whose. I not, didn't say whose finger. No, I don't, I don't wanna... Okay, whatever. Fine, <laughs> it's fine. 
If you like this podcast and want to hear more of it, or if you want to hear any of the other stuff that I've done, you can go to opalnebula.com. We have a couple different podcasts that are going on there, and you can check them out and leave comments and see all sorts of other stuff that we're working on. Stay tuned, folks. Goodbye.